Well, good morning. You know, it's always a, an honor and privilege to be here and to be able to share the word. We're, we're talking about James, uh, the book of James. I was told I had to do something from the book of James. I didn't want to. But, you know, you know how persuasive your pastor is? I mean, you have to do it. You have no choice, really. But I, I thought about, you know, James, and we're, we're focusing from James chapter 2 verses, actually, if it, I don't know if it says 12 through, but it's 14, actually, through 26. And I'm not going to take time to read it at this moment, but there's one key scripture from there that I want to focus our attention on, and that's from James uh, chapter 2, verse 22, that says, you see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected or made complete. And I read that several times, and I'm still not sure I understand what it says. But we're going to give it a go to try and figure it out a bit this morning. You know, for poor James, I really feel for this guy. I mean, James was, you know, the younger brother of Jesus. And I imagine most of his early life, it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's something about that name. But how boring that would have been for James, James. I mean, what about poor James? I mean, here, you know, I mean, look, if you've had to live under the shadow of an older brother, I mean, who happens to be, you know, kind of successful, you, you might have a feeling for what James felt. I mean, growing up, we do know that at one point, uh, his whole family thought Jesus was a nutter. I mean, here he's preaching on the kingdom of God, and there's, they're saying he's healing the sick and doing all kinds of miracles. And this is, wait a minute, this is my, I remember him. I remember him in his underwear. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he knew, James knew Jesus. <laughs> he knew him in a different way than any of the rest of us will ever know him. But it must have been very difficult for poor James in many ways to have to put up with this. I mean, Jesus was, was this mystical character in many ways, and yet over time, James became aware that Jesus was truly the real deal. He wasn't just his brother, he wasn't just a, a mystic or a, a preacher or a teacher, but he was truly the son of the living God. And as such, he embraced Jesus as his Savior and his Lord. And I don't know how, you know, that must have been a difficult process for him to actually receive his own brother as his Savior and Lord. Now it's about uh, oh, good 30 years or so after, 25 to 30 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that James, who was a, a leader in the church, decides it's time to, to write down some thoughts. And he's primarily writing them to Jewish believers. You know, the Jews in those days were still very, very much in, uh, tied into the law of Moses. I mean, they were very, very concerned about externals, uh, how you lived your life. 
They were very concerned that, um, you know, you do everything just right. And there was a lot of controversy going on, especially between folks like Paul, who was preaching grace and you don't need the law, you don't need to live under the law, and others that were saying, oh, no, you have to live according to the Jewish traditions and laws. I mean, there was a lot of debate about those kinds of things back in that day. And, and so, you know, Paul wrote his stuff, but I guess James decided, I'm going to write one too. And he's writing to primarily, again, Jewish believers, and he's, he's trying to help them find a true balance between what we call, again, faith and works, or if you will, grace and works. And really there is, it's, it's not that you need a balance, it's just you need to recognize that they go together, that they're two sides of the same coin, and the coin really is our relationship with the Lord. If you really know Jesus, you're going to do something about that knowledge. It's not enough just to know him kind of by, uh, you know, laying on your hands on the television and I repeat after me, I give my heart to Jesus, and then the next day you're just the same person you always were. No, there should be some sort of a demonstrated change in a person's life to indicate that truly he has embraced by faith that Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord. Hallelujah. So I want to... I want to look at this a little bit, this, uh, to, because I believe God wants us to live an authentic life, one filled with works, but motivated by love and by his grace. So, in doing so, we see that the words of Jesus will ultimately be fulfilled, where he said, you know, let your light show, so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, we don't live life for ourselves. Amen? Well, at least we're not supposed to. Life is sweeter when it's shared with somebody else, that's for certain. But God wants us to take what we've received in him and live it out so that God is glorified and the world can be changed because of our testimony. And so, uh, you know, just as Jesus went about doing good, healing all who are oppressed of the devil, what does God expect of us? To do the same kind of thing. To go about, you know, doing good. I mean, why not? Most of us are pretty good at doing bad. It's one of the gifts that flows out of us naturally. But in our new nature, what should flow out of us is good. To live a life that is truly different. Not odd, not strange, not weird, although we're good at that too. But that we might live a life that makes a difference where God has placed us and planted us. So in this uh, brief message, because I am told it has to be brief. Blessed are the short, they shall be invited back. <laughs> Hallelujah. So I, I just want to look at three primary principles, if you will, found within this passage of Scripture, which I do encourage you to read it, not now. Don't do that to me. I know you do that to your pastor. Don't do that to me. Do your daily devotion to make up for the whole week on Sunday morning. Don't do that. I have done that myself, but don't you do that. 
Number one, you got to have faith. And in reality, you have it. Because Emmanuel, God is with us. You have faith. Because if you've received Jesus, if you've confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's what the Scripture says. And we affirm that is absolutely true. And so if you have faith, that's something that's in you. And it's something that's always in you and will always be with you, but it's also something that has to be, number two, it has to be released. You got to release your faith by putting it into action. And the action that God expects of us is unique and individual, but it also fits in with the loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, and recognizing that your neighbor has that annoying dog that won't stop yipping and yapping and drops bombs on your front lawn. And learning to love that neighbor is not easy, is it? That really takes faith. Okay, but we'll talk about that as well. And the third thing we're going to look at, you've got to live your faith so the world can see and know that God really is good. You know, God is good, right? I know all the time, all the time, God is good, yeah becomes kind of a trite saying for some people, but God really is good. So number one, we want to look here is have faith. All of life's journey is one of faith. I mean, if you, you got up this morning, you got dressed, kind of, uh, you know, you put on your clothes, not your best, but anyway, you put something on, you covered yourself, glory to God. You look good covered, thank you, Jesus. And you decided to come to church because you wanted to be in the presence of God. Well, of course, we know that God was already present with you. You didn't have to come to this building to, to be present with God or to experience His presence. But there is something unique about corporate gathering, coming together, praising and worshiping. There's something unique about it. You, by faith, got up with an expectation that if you got to this place, that you would have some sort of an encounter with God. And I'll guarantee you, you're not disappointed. Because God is in the house where two or three gather in his name. He's right there in the midst. But you have faith. All of life's journey is filled with faith. But it's important where we place our faith and who we place our faith in. We must put our faith in one who is faithful. And we know that God is faithful. In John chapter 1, it says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. And again, two sides of the same coin. It's not he was graceful and gracious at times, and then he had to put another hat on and acted out of truth. No, he is grace and truth. If Jesus is grace and truth, we know the Father is grace and truth, full of it. We know the Holy Spirit is full of grace and truth. His church should be full of grace and truth, and all of us should be full of grace and truth because we've come into a relationship of trust in the goodness of God. We know that we, as God's people, are to be filled with grace and truth, from grace to grace, it says. 
But we have to be careful who we put our faith in. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. And for His fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. You know, we have faith. If you've asked Christ into your life, you have faith. You received Him by faith. Faith in what? Faith in God. Not faith in you, not faith in the church, not faith in the preacher, faith in God. God who is our creator and the sustainer of all things. God who sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for us. God who loves us just the way we are and has every intention of conforming us to the very image of Christ. That's what we put our faith in. And he's worthy of that, isn't he? Isn't God good? And he wants us to to embrace that by faith I've put my trust, because that's really the better word for it. I've put my absolute trust in God. I've put my trust in his word. I've put my trust that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead does live in me. And therefore, no matter what I may experience in life, I know I'm not alone. I know God is with me. I know God will sustain me. Can I hear an amen to that? Hallelujah. We have faith. But faith is really trust. And we must be sure of what we put our trust in. Do you really believe God? Do you really believe he's good? Do you really believe he's there for you when things are not going the way you hope? Is your trust really in God? It's just a good thing to ask yourself once in a while. You know, there's so many wonderful pictures of faith. In this passage, James is referring to Abraham. Abraham was a great man of faith. How do we know? Because he did something. We don't know if he had faith because he had a nice feeling, good thoughts. I want good thoughts for the universe. Ching, ching. Doesn't change your blooming thing. What changes something is when you get off thy dairy air in the name of Jesus and do something. How do you know someone's got faith? I saw him get up and go do something. He acted on what he says he's believed. I mean, that's why Abraham is a great, is our father of faith, simply because he left his family, except for he didn't do that very well. He took Lot with him. That was a dumb move. But anyway, you know, but he still, I mean, generally, you know, he's always a man. Well, he did try and get rid of his wife. I mean, that was, that was not. So he wasn't perfect, but he was a man of faith because he did do something. David did something. Goliath is roaring. David says, give me some rocks. How do we know David had faith? Not because he liked rocks. Not because he rocked. But because he put him in the sling and put one right between the idiot's eyes. That's a man of faith. By faith, David killed that dog. Chopped off his head. And everybody scattered. It was a good day. So ultimately, you have to release your faith. For truly without faith works. It's kind of like grace and truth. You can have all the gracious feelings towards someone, but if you don't act on that, if you don't act in a way that demonstrates God's grace, his mercy, his kindness, the fact that I only have 10 minutes left, 
By faith, she lifted the sign and took me off track. And yea, I prophesy to thee, you shall do it again in five minutes. But faith without works is only half a coin. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I believe God. I believe God for my marriage. I believe God for a job, and they don't apply for one. I believe that I'm going to get a raise, but I'm a lazy worker. I, I, I believe my relationship's going to get better, but I continuously criticize my spouse to a place where if they had any intelligence at all, they would run. But by faith, oh no, I believe God. I believe God for miracles. I believe that God is going to fix that waste of human flesh. Hmm. So faith has to be released. It's when faith in God was released that results were seen. You know, it's kind of like in James chapter 5, it talks about that, you know, in the church nowadays, it's, we, we don't see a lot of signs, wonders, and miracles in the church because we don't need them particularly. We know the kingdom has come. Our king is with us. But we do expect healing and restoration of broken lives, etc. We believe that God is a healer. Amen? God does heal. But one of the things that's required is laying hands on the sick. In order to lay hands on the sick, the sick has got to say, I'm sick. And it's just sick to, for some people to, to have to admit that they're sick. They hate it. Oh, no, I, I'm catching a healing. Glory to God. If you're sick, you're sick. That's why God provided healing. And if you're sick, it's not my job to divine your sickness. It's up to you to tell me you're sick. And then it's my job to do the, the act of faith. What's the act of faith? Prayer. Lay hands on the sick. Pray for them. What's the prayer of faith? Is there some magic formula that we pray? No. Prayer is the act of faith. When you pray, you're acting in faith. How much faith do you have to have in order to see someone healed? Mustard seed is plenty. It's not about your faith. It's your act. Are you hearing me? So I know people say, oh, I'll, I'm going to pray for you. Which means what? Not a thing. It's just the trite Christian thing we say to other Christians. Oh, I'm praying for you. Really? When? Are, are you going to do it from your knees? You're gonna, you like to walk around, your eyes open, eyes closed. I don't really care how you do it, but I really could use the prayer. When are you going to pray for me? You don't expect me to do it now. That would be good. Now would be good. Well, but, but, but you didn't really think I meant that, did you? Well, I thought you had faith. I'll know you have faith if you actually stop and pray. Because it's the prayer of faith that will heal the sick. And if sin has caused the sickness, it'll be forgiven. I mean, God's going to do something incredible if we'll just release our faith. Which requires that we act, that we do something. Are we almost at five minutes? I'm really looking at that. I'm thinking it's really close. It's, where are we at? How, how many seconds? I have six minutes left? Oh, man. I want to start from the beginning. I didn't think my beginning was that good. What did you think? I mean, can I start over? Do you mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... 
I didn't know so many liars came to church. It's amazing. So, you know, think about it. You got to release your faith. You know, Peter, John at the gate, beautiful. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. What did they have? Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. So how did they release it? Well, they just said in the name of Jesus. They actually did what Jesus said to do. Take authority over this thing and release it. When they spoke it, they released it. They released faith. I, I often think of the, the rope holders. You know, remember when, when Paul, the, there, was, there were folks fasting and they wanted to kill Paul. It was in Jerusalem. And there were some rope holders that, that uh, helped him over the wall. You know those rope holders? They were men and women of faith. They had enough faith to believe that Paul had a mission beyond being a martyr at least then, they believed in his mission enough to say, we're going to help you get out of this situation. We're going to come alongside you. And I would love, I look forward to meeting the rope holders in heaven. Because so often, I mean, it's not the great man or the great woman of God that, that really deserves a lot of credit. It's the men and women who have hold, held the ropes who have come alongside and worked together with the leadership, they're the ones that I believe all of heaven is going to declare are the greatest men and women of God. And then, of course, you got to live your faith. Faith comes by hearing, we know, and then acting on the Word of God. That's all James was trying to focus on here. It's so often, as believers, we, we, we hear, but we don't do. I mean, and it's completely contrary to especially a Hebraic view of how life is to be lived. From a Hebraic view, I mean, you couldn't just talk about things. Your talk and your action were to be blended together. And so, for instance, where it says, clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of victory. And we can do that in the Western world, and we can actually do it very quietly. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout. <laughs> Unto God with a voice of <laughs> victory. Impossible for the Hebrews. It, when they were singing it, they were literally clapping their hands. All you people. Shout! Victory! They couldn't do it any other way. And that's really all James is doing in this passage is reminding the Hebrew believers, you know, in our roots, our roots go all the way back to Abraham. He is the father of all faith. He's simply reminding them, listen, guys, it's not enough just to have good thoughts. It's not enough to even have right doctrine. If your right doctrine doesn't lead you to right action, it, it, it means absolutely nothing. Without faith, which is not mere mental assent to something or simply a belief, it is impossible to please God. Now, I know God loves you and he's really happy with you. And in fact, when you look in the mirror, you should remind yourself, yes, indeed, I am your favorite. But in spite of the fact of your wonderfulness, he still is a father that wants you to grow and mature and become everything that he created you to be, which requires that we act on what we know, that we take responsibility for what we've learned, and that we demonstrate that we are responsible for all that we've learned because we, we live it day by day. 
So as James so emphatically states, you see that faith was working with his works, with Abraham's work. How did you know that? Because he actually did what he said he was going to do. And as a result of the works, faith was made complete. And really, I believe we're in a day and a time and a season that that we need as God's people to be doers of the word and not hearers only, which deceives our own selves. So just three quick questions, and I turn it over to the bishop. Archbishop, Pope of Pentecost, great man of faith and power. It's all true, brother. So first question, of course, is do you have faith? I mean, have you really put your faith in God and his goodness? I mean, if you haven't started that journey, it's time to start it. To put your trust in God and his word. When push comes to shove, do I push and shove? Or do I passively allow others to do the work? Because there's times when it's time to push. It's time to shove. It's time to get behind something. It's time to do the work. And for some of you, maybe God is speaking to you specifically. There's some things that you know you, 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 you haven't done that you need to do. Well, it's not too late. Do it. And the third question is, what has God spoken to me to do that I've not yet acted upon? And God, will you give me a chance again to act? And according to the young lady on the front row, time's up. Now, I don't know if time's up or if time is down or if time is all around. I know that we're in time, but I think at this moment it means that I'm out of time. Bishop, let me give it back to you. 